Little honeybees flying around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown. Bring it to Tennessee farm table, butter beans, peas, beets and chard, chickens running in the yard, catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop in black gang candy stripes. Look at them loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee Farm Table. And welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that I created to spotlight people from the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve our regional and Appalachian foods and agriculture. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. And this morning, we are setting the table with some good old-fashioned staples, how to cook cornbread over an open fire in cast iron, how to make homemade butter, and how to make peach pies with Iva Spoonwild of Wallen, Tennessee. Also, the happily retired former food editor of the Knoxville News Sentinel, Mary Dede Constantine, shares with us a recipe for Vietnamese beef stew. And we'll hear Fred Sossman's potluck radio segment with pal Kenneth Barger, the man who created an Upper East Tennessee favorite, Pal's Sudden Service. Thank you so much for your good company today. I really appreciate your tuning in. You may have met Iva Spoonwild at the Great Smoky Mountains Heritage Center in Townsend, Tennessee. She's cooked over an open fire along with her friend Connie Keeble for years during the Blue Ribbon Country Fair that is held every fall at the Great Smoky Mountains Heritage Center in Townsend, Tennessee. Iva grew up in Jefferson County, Tennessee on a farm and learned all of those homesteading ways from her mother and grandmother and she could dress a chicken at the age of six. She's going to let us know how she cooks cornbread from fresh milled cornmeal on an open hearth, how to make your own homemade butter if you do or do not have a milk cow, and she's going to let us know how she makes her fried peach pies right now. For the cornmeal, now when they uh, moved into a new area, you know, they might be the only family there. Uh, so there wouldn't be a meal. They would, they'd have a gritter, they called it. Uh, kind of looks like a grater that we'd have. But that's the matured corn. It'll be hard. So that's how they would grate that corn on the gritter, you know. And it would take a long time to grate enough cornmeal to make uh, bread. Boy, but as uh, families moved in, and most of the time when they moved to an area, they would move to a source of water, mm-hmm. a creek or spring or something. So... Uh, they would build a small tub mill. It doesn't take a high velocity of water to operate one of those. So for just a few families, that would supply, you know, enough meal 
for them. But as the uh, communities grew, then they built the big mills like uh, at Cage Cove or up at Old Mill and in, in uh, Pigeon Forge. Yes. Mm-hmm. The larger mills, and of course, that supplied the whole community. Mm-hmm. But we still get our meal up at Old Mill in uh, Pigeon Forge. Uh, they're very gracious to give that to us during the for the Blue Ribbon Country Fair. Uh, but I use um, unbolted white meal, and that means it hadn't been sifted, and it has no additives. When you sift, you'll get part of the husk, mm-hmm. so you'll save just a little bit of that and throw back in the bread you're making, and it'll give you a little crunch, which is real good. And then uh, I said it had no additives, so you've got to add baking powder and soda, mm-hmm. salt, mm-hmm. And, of course, I make mine with buttermilk, a couple of eggs, uh, a stick of melted butter, which you've got to have. <laughs> and um, then we cook it on the uh, open hearth. Now, back in the old days, you would have a rip-roaring fire, you know, in the fireplace. But we can't have that in the summertime. It would be too hot. So we use uh, charcoal, and that gives us quick heat. Mm-hmm. And uh, we bake it in a Dutch oven, and that's... Let's see, I won't say that it has little feet on it, but little pegs on the bottom, uh-huh. and that means that you can put coals underneath. It raises it up enough off of the hearth that you can put the coals underneath, and it has a concave lid uh, and a little rim around it, and so you put coals on top. Uh-huh. So it cooks it from the top and the bottom, just like your stove does at home. And at about 25 minutes, I will take it off the coals on the bottom and then uh, just leave the ones on top. And it takes about 45 minutes for it to bake. It bakes pretty quick, but it has to brown, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you're, like I say, 25 minutes, I'll take the coals out of the bottom because it will burn, you oh. know. Mm-hmm. So you you know that about 20, 25 minutes it's done, you know, browned on the bottom. And then it, then it has to brown on top. Doesn't it taste better done like that than out of the regular oven? Listen, the people that come through there think that's the best <laughs> cornbread they ever ate, you know. And the beans, they think it's wonderful. But no beans this year. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you how to make butter? No, I meant to ask you. I'm so glad you brought that up. How do you do it? Well, we do it because we don't have a cow. <laughs> so we buy a heavy whipping cream. And you just put it in a jar. You wouldn't probably want to put the whole quart, you know, maybe a, a pint. And just gently shake. You have to have the the cream at room temperature. I mean, don't want it too cold. Not, if it's too cold, it's going to make whipped cream. Uh-huh. If it's too warm, it won't gather. That's what you call your butter will gather, you know, into a clump. Yeah. But just put it in a jar and just gently shake, just like this. Hmm. And it'll take probably 10 minutes and then it'll it'll start making butter and clump up then together and then you take that butter out of the jar and you wash it that's what you call it you wash it you want to get all the milk out of it if you don't if you keep that any length of time it will sour the milk will so so you wash it really well with cold water and when you you wash until you don't see any more milk come out I mean like cloudy clouded water come out of it mm-hmm. and you'll know that it's clean then and a little salt and uh, but if you had a cow you would milk the cow and um, it would take several days to, the cream will come to the top of the milk and so you will skim that off and put it in your churn and you'll do that several days until you get enough milk 
to make your butter. And uh, it has to sour. You know, that's where you get your buttermilk. And it will do it quicker if you'll put a little buttermilk in that, you know, if you've got some buttermilk to put in it. But it has to sour. That's where you get your buttermilk. And you just churn it in a big churn, you know. You've got the wooden churns or the uh, crock churns. And um, and the same process when it gathers, then you're going to get it out and wash it and all that. And then it's nice to put it in a butter mold when you've got a lot, you know. You can mold it. Yes. And... Um, and make it look real pretty. Otherwise, just put it in a bowl or something, you know. Yes. Have it kind of round. Uh-huh. Yeah, round. just just mm-hmm. put it because you're going to be using it, you know. But That's something else. Um, so when you, you put that cream in there over a course of days, and it... Now, makes, that's if you've got a cow and a milk. Cow. Uh, but the, but the uh, uh, heavy whipping cream, no. You just... You want it to right temperature, That's and right. you can tell the the jar how the the jar feels. You know, mm-hmm. if it's cold or Co- too yeah. hot, mm-hmm. you don't want too cold or not too warm. Mm-hmm. It just won't gather if it's too warm. But you don't want whipped cream either. <laughs> <laughs> I've made that mistake before. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like too that um, you're talking about using buttermilk. Um, yeah. Well, um, I'll dry apples uh, sometimes because mm-hmm. just enough to make a stack cake. Uh, when was my, my stack cake was the grand prize one year at the fair, but I don't do those often. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Well, yeah, when you dry the apples and all that, you know. How many dried apples to make a stack cake? Just guess at it, maybe a quart. Mm-hmm. That'll make a lot, though. Mm-hmm. I doubt it would take that many. Mm-hmm. And I... Uh, can this little concoction of peaches. Uh, you don't peel the peaches and you have just your peaches, sugar, and vinegar. It takes forever to do it. It takes hours to boil them and it boils down real thick. Huh. And that's what I'm gonna make my that's what I make my fried pies with. Here's my dried peaches recipe. Two gallons of peaches, don't peel. A cup of apple cider vinegar and seven cups of sugar, and you cook that till it's um, until the juice is gone and fruit turns brown. And you just put it in hot sterilized jars and you seal it. Tell me about your crust for your fried pies. My crust is a half cup of sour milk, and that's buttermilk. And add a tablespoon of lemon juice to the milk and stir. One and a half tablespoon. See, it doesn't take a lot of shortening for that. And a half teaspoon of soda, fourth of a teaspoon of salt, one and a half cup of all-purpose flour. Divide it into about saucer size into pieces, and I do ten, try to do ten. And then add your peaches, two tablespoons on one side of the circle, and you wet the edges and... Fold it, pinch the edges together with a fork, and then fry it until they're golden brown. <laughs> in a cast iron skillet? No, I used to do it in my electric skillet. <laughs> what kind of shortening do you use again? I just use Crisco, mm-hmm. butter flavor. Mm-hmm. I like yeah. butter flavor. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, and you've been listening to a visit with Iva Spoonwild of Wallen, Tennessee, and she's told us about her cornbread, butter, and peach pie making. If you might want to share this story with someone that may not have been able to hear it by radio, let them know you can find this show as a podcast on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, and all of those places where people find their podcasts and links to all of my guests and mentioned events, always at TennesseeFarmTable.com.
let's hear now from the happily retired former food editor of the Knoxville News Sentinel, Mary Dee Dee Constantine, and a recipe for Vietnamese beef stew. I raised my two boys on an 80-acre farm where we cared for 20 head of cattle. For 20 years, I had all the grass-fed beef in the freezer that I ever needed. And we traded a neighbor beef for pork. So I was blessed with homemade sausage, thick-cut pork chops, and pork tenderloin, too. And I'm ashamed to admit this, but I never appreciated what a blessing it was to have that in my freezer. That is, until the farm had to be sold and I began purchasing my meat at the grocery store. Not only did it hurt my pocketbook, but I also noticed a flavor change. The only way I know to describe it is to say that there was a richness to the meat that was raised on the farm that simply wasn't there in the beef that I purchased. Today we're blessed to have a number of local and regional farms offering their meat products, including Jim Farm, Mitchell's Beef, Century Harvest Farms, and Colvin Family Farms. And if you're not able to make it to the farmer's market, Three Rivers Market on Central Avenue offers local grass-fed beef. I recently purchased pasture-raised beef, which I chopped into stew meat. I needed it for a Vietnamese beef stew recipe that caught my eye on the Tasting Table website. That broth offers a powerful punch with the addition of cinnamon sticks and star anise. But what completed that dish was the use of the local meat. But my words won't convince you of that. Eating it will. Here's the Vietnamese beef stew recipe. I urge you to give it a try. The ingredients are two tablespoons of unsalted butter, two pounds of beef chuck cut into one-inch cubes, two yellow onions thinly sliced, one jalapeno stemmed and sliced into rounds, four whole star anise, two cinnamon sticks, one half cup brown sugar, one fourth cup fish sauce, three cups low sodium beef stock, preferably homemade or at least organic, four medium carrots cut into one inch pieces, salt to taste. I also added a package of shiitake mushrooms. To prepare it, you heat the butter in a large Dutch oven over medium-high heat. Brown the beef on all sides about 15 minutes, working in batches if you need to. Add the onions and cook until softened, making sure to stir to prevent burning, about 8 minutes. Add the jalapeno, star anise, and cinnamon to the pan and cook, stirring, until fragrant, about 2 minutes. And I mean fragrant. That will hit your nose. Oh my gosh, it's wonderful. You add the sugar and cook, stirring until dissolved. Then you add the fish sauce and cook, stirring and scraping those little bits of uh, burnt pieces on the bottom of the pan. And you do that for about a minute. Then you pour in the beef stock and you bring it all to a boil. And let me tell you, your house is going to smell so good. Reduce the heat to medium-low and let that simmer covered 
until the beef is tender, about an hour, hour and 10 minutes, something like that. Add the carrots and mushrooms if you plan to use them. Cook uncovered until the carrots are tender, about 10 minutes. Add salt if you need a little, and then dish it into four to six servings, depending on how much you want. This stew is fabulous. And this is Mary Constantine with the Tennessee Farm Table. And let's hear this potluck radio segment from Fred Saussman with the voice of pal Kenneth Barger, the man who created an Upper East Tennessee favorite, Pal's Sudden Service. This is Potluck Radio. I'm Fred Saussman. Pal's Sudden Service has been in business for 63 years in Northeast Tennessee and Southwest Virginia. Frederick Powell Barger came back home to East Tennessee after a stint in the U.S. Air Force, and the multitasking Powell ran a restaurant while he finished his degree at East Tennessee State College. By leasing the restaurant in uh, Marion, Virginia, I saved $10,000, and then I borrowed $10,000. That's what it cost to open the first Powell's on Revere Street. I leased the land, which I later bought. But equipment and building and everything was $20,000. The concept that eventually evolved into PALS had its origin back during PALS Air Force days. I had the idea of what I wanted to do that I saw in service when I was in Austin, Texas. An operation there called 2Js that had evidently copied McDonald Brothers before Ray Kroc got involved. So I had that in my mind that that's what I wanted to do. And you know, I researched that. Well, I go after work and I asked them if I could come in and see, and they were pretty sixty, but they had windows on the front and two sides. So I'd go after work with binoculars and a legal pad and keep track of their customers. And, and I had, I could see their sales. They had the old timey NCRSs where they punch a 20 and a five. and. 25 cents would pop up. They call it benchmarking now. Then they call it spying. <laughs> In 2002, President George W. Bush presented PALS with the Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award. For Potluck Radio, I'm Fred Saussman. Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee, for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.